Hi, Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we'll drop in on a workshop I did with Steve Wright, Troy Cooper, Ray Vaughan, and Ron Surgeon at Exponential 2016 in Orlando. Topic is the transition from church to movement. A dear friend of mine went down to um, West Palm Beach to serve. Um, at the time, the church name was First Baptist Church um, West Palm Beach. Jimmy Scroggins shows up there, and the church is really in disarray. It's having a lot of problems. Uh, second week that Jimmy was there at the church, he had to let go like 40 to 45 people. I mean, the, the church was in financial trouble. They had gone without a pastor for five years before Jimmy got there. And Jimmy likes to say that um, if the search committee has been looking for a pastor for five years and they and then they find you, you probably were not number one on their list. And so uh, he 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 became the pastor there. He he was a youth. He was a student pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, when he went down there. Well, one of the things that Jimmy observed when he got there was just the lostness of South Florida. As Troy said, 96% unchurched. Um, George Barna recently, last April, said that West Palm Beach was the number one city in all of America of churches, of, of cities that have never been churched. And uh, so so um, Jimmy was there, and he began to realize that this idea, and Jimmy had always been in regional megachurches. I had been in some large megachurch churches as well. And Jimmy began to really start preaching some really weird messages. Like in one of his messages, he said, I tell you what we're going to do as a church. We are going to abandon the regional megachurch as a primary strategy of reaching lostness in South Florida. Well, that was really, at the time, a very radical statement for a pastor like Jimmy to make. Of course, when you make a statement like that, if you're abandoning this, what what are you exactly embracing? Well, Jimmy really didn't have the full answers at the time, but he realized that we couldn't get 6 million people to come to our church. Okay, so that that idea of reaching and getting all of them to come to our, our church, that probably wasn't going to happen, okay? And so he began to cast vision and say to our church that we were going to plant 100 churches in South Florida. And at the time... Um, that really seemed like a just a stretch, and it really was. I mean, for a church that was in financial ruin, that were that had just a bad reputation in the city, and all some of the other things that were going on in our church, that was really a, a, an unbelievable statement. Um, and about three or four years after Jimmy got there, uh, he kept calling me and asking if I would come down and serve with him. And one of the things after my wife Tina and I got to. South Florida, we also began to realize just how lost um, South Florida was. We, we like to talk about West Palm Beach and South Florida, Florida as being a target-rich environment of lostness. And so, you know, for people who might be evangelistic or apostolic or want to be involved in discipleship, well, it's really a great place to live because, you know, 96% of the people you meet, you get to share the gospel with them. It's really amazing. And so we, we began to realize, you know, what, what, was, what was this going to look like? And so, you know, a couple of the things that we just started doing immediately is we, we realized that we had to help people 
uh, know how to share the gospel. We could not assume that the people in our church knew how to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Some of you have seen a uh, gospeling tool called the Three Circles. Uh, we developed the Three Circles tool out of our church. And uh, it was really remarkable how the Lord has used that. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to create a tool out of the context of where we were now serving so that the average person in our church who did not know how to have a gospel conversation, that they could turn that everyday conversation, no matter what the person was talking about, how could they turn that into a conversation that ended with me saying, you know what? Um, I've not been through exactly what you've been through, but if you would allow me, I'd like to share something with you that's given me great hope. And so what we did is we developed that tool, and then we began to train, 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 train. And one of the things that we had to do as a church is we had to uh, kind of we had to deprogram a lot of the things that we were doing. We had to really push all of the chips into the middle of the table and say, you know what, we're we're going to begin thinking more like trainers than teachers. And so this idea of repetition became became very important to us. The Lord, uh, not long after I got there, sent Troy down, and Troy and his organization, they're, they're actually really gifted at training, probably the best trainers that I've ever met in my 25 years of ministry. And so we just began to care, compare notes, and he began to sharpen us, and we were trying to invest in him and what they were doing. And... Just this idea of repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, we realized if we were going to plant 100 churches, uh, where, where are you going to get 100 pastors? Where are you going to get all of these leaders that is going to be required for all these churches? And so one of the things that the Lord uh, led us to was uh, this idea of beginning a church planting residency uh, because we wanted to make sure that we had a leadership pipeline. So if we wanted to win the World Series of Discipleship, uh, we, we better have a pretty good farm system. And so what Jimmy said to our congregation was this, we're going to plant 100 churches. And you're probably sitting there today in our church service, and you're probably thinking, well, how in the world are we going to plant 100 churches? And Jimmy said, I don't know how. I just know that we are. And he actually said that with such biblical, biblical conviction and the Holy Spirit's anointing on his life. I mean, it our church really began to turn on a dime with that statement. And it began to allow us to ask a lot of questions. And one of the things that came up real quick, I mean, a lot of our leadership, they're like, well, Jimmy, if we plant all these churches, where in the world are we going to get all of these leaders? I remember one of the church services, where are we going to get these leaders? Where are we going to get these pastors? Where are we going to get? And Jimmy said to our congregation again, you know what? Uh, some of you sitting right here in this room today, you're going to be the ones that are most surprised where we get these leaders. So it wasn't an idea that we were going to call up blah, 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 seminary and say, hey, we need you to send these guys down here. The idea was we were going to raise up indigenous, local, homegrown guys, and we were going to plant churches. And so we've really just been, over the last couple of years, going to work with this. And one of the things that we've discovered is that these guys are actually really skilled at what they're doing and that we could actually plant churches with bivocational guys, and it would allow us to... Uh, plant churches that were more affordable, that that uh, didn't cost an arm and a leg. If any of you have planted a church recently, you, you're probably aware of the cost of what churches are costing in the U.S. And so we were able to, and when we first began to start talking about planting churches with bivocation, I mean, you would have thought, I mean, we, we were having conversations with people and they were like, my goodness, you guys are on the cutting edge. It's like, 
uh, and uh, I remember being on the phone talking to people there. I'm like, do you like read the Bible? I mean, this is like, this isn't like cutting edge. This is like really, really old. And so we just really what we began to try to do is we just try to go back and look at the book of Acts because the book of Acts is the, the greatest book that will ever be written on multiplications, right? So we've just began to, to start with Acts 1-1. And man, we just began to read all the way through verse 20, uh, chapter 28. We, our teams began to read Acts over and over and over. And you know, uh, you, you guys all know what idioms are, right? So, Idioms are something that we use a lot in our grammar here in the U.S. Well, there's one idiom in particular. It's called the shampoo um, algorithm, right? So the the shampoo algorithm is what? Does anybody know? What's what's the shampoo bottle say? Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Okay, so the the shampoo algorithm basically says that there's there's a system on how we do things. Okay, well. The, the New Testament algorithm, the, the Acts algorithm, is really quite simple. So how are we going to get to multiplication? How are we going to grow these churches? How are we going to reach lostness? How are we going to turn back lostness in our communities? Well, it's really simple. In Acts 1, Jesus gave the disciples a great vision, a vision that would reach around the world. And he said to them, I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go to the other most parts of the world. The and, and, But there's going to be a pr- couple of problems. Number one, I'm not going to be here to go with you. I'm leaving. And I mean, literally, he, the one who instituted this vision, he left. So Jesus leaves. And when Jesus leaves, the disciples are set there. They, they have no resources. They really, I mean, they have no seminary education. They, I mean, they're sitting there like, man, how in the world? We do not have enough Delta miles to do this. I mean, how are we going to get all of this accomplished? And so they were left with one thing to do, and they did in Acts one fourteen what all of us should do. They devoted themselves to prayer. So algorithm number one is they devoted themselves to prayer. Number two, they began to sow the gospel broadly and widely. I mean, they would reach into the seed bag of the gospel, and they would get as many seeds as they can, and they would just go into the communities, and they would, sh- they would just fl- they would share the gospel with everyone. Not not some, but all. And they they just were relentless about sharing the gospel. The, the third thing that they did is they realized that as they were faithful to share the gospel, that the Holy Spirit was already at work in people's lives that would repent and believe. And when they repent and believe, they're like, wow, we need to do with those people what Jesus did with us. So we need to disciple these new believers. And so they just went. They went quickly to this idea of discipleship because if they were going to reach the the worlds for the world for God with the gospel, then what this new believer looked like, this was a future church planter. This was a future missionary. This wasn't just someone that they needed to start attending a church. And so they began to do that. The, the other things that would happen in these cities as more and more believers uh, would come to Christ and repent, believe and go on mission, other people would get saved. And so the fourth thing that would happen is that they would form there. There was church formation. Then, of course, after church formation, they would identify leaders, raise up leaders, train leaders uh, to, to lead the church. And, and really, if you just read through the book of Acts, they just did that over. Now, they did it in unique ways, and their strategies, entry strategies changed. In the way, I mean, all, all of it really changed a lot. But those were the things that they did over and over and over. So if you were to say to us, Pastor Steve, what, what are you guys doing um, I just want you to know 
as we've just been trying to deprogram our church, as we've been trying to run after a strategy that isn't the regional mega church, but uh, a church that what, one of the things that we say at the end of every one of our services is today we've gathered, we've got to be the church in here, but now let's go, let's be the church out there. One of the things that we are trying to do is we're moving away from an attractional model into a, to a model uh, that says we're going to take the church out to where people are. God has really blessed us. We've, we've had so many people uh, come, God's spirits on people. I mean, the, raising up leaders to say, man, I'll, I will be um, honored to be trained. People that we would have never thought that would say, hey, train me to be a pastor. A uh, couple. About a month ago, our, our students went on a spring break trip, and they were able to knock on over 25,000 homes uh, in Tallahassee in order to share the gospel with many people there in Tallahassee. Last Wednesday night, uh, just on a Wednesday night, we were able to knock on about 2,000 homes uh, there in West Palm Beach. And so we're learning what it means to be a church that is uh, trying to go. And as a result of all of these things, I mean, the Lord has blessed, and we we've planted about 16 churches thus far in the last four to five years. We have eight churches that we will be planting in the next couple of months. And, uh, you know, so we're beginning to see, I mean, the number of baptisms uh, are are just really, it's it's really been neat to see just as a result of us trying to be faithful uh, to what we see happen in the book of Acts. So one of the patterns that we're noticing as we're engaging churches is there's typically three areas of interest. One is uh, disciple making. One is church planting. And one is missions mobilization. that they want to mobilize missionaries. And typically with disciple-making, it's they're trying a number of different evangelism tools, a number of different discipleship packets that are unrelated. Church planting, it's being subbed out to somebody on how to start churches, and it's usually church transplanting. How do we take a group of believers with a pastor? And lastly, missions mobilization. How do we mobilize missionaries? And they'll sub that out. But if we look at the book of Acts, and did you hear what Steve said? Where is Steve... Where did Steve say that we're getting this strategy? Did you hear him say it? He unpacked it from Acts. And this diamond that, that Steve Addison has pulled out, it's, if we look at the pattern of Jesus' ministry in, in the Gospels, and then we look at what the apostles did in Acts, you see this pattern here. Okay, it's in the Bible. So we see in Acts that it started with making disciples that leads to church planting that in Acts 13 led to missions mobilization. And who was that through? In Acts 13, was it sent out of... Uh, Acts 13, it was sent out of who? Antioch what? The church at Antioch. Right? So we came in to talk to Family Church and Steve Wright about church planting. That was where they were interested. But we stepped back and said, let's talk about disciple making, because that will impact how you plant churches. And the vision became, everyone make disciples, every church plant churches. And now here we are two years later. To my knowledge, y'all didn't have a missions department before. So I'm, what I'm observing is, as you're obeying Jesus with where you're at, disciple making leads to church planting. Now they've got a missions department that's going hard after UPGs. 
That's God's heart. It's Acts 1-8 played out. Isn't that awesome? So, uh, so as far as tools go, uh, Steve, when we went in, I mean, there was a lot that God was already doing there. I hope you're hearing that. But we were able just to fill in some of the gaps. But I think under the connect part, it was, uh, you know, they would meet and they would pray for lost people. Um, and they would, you know, I think get a list of like three people on a card and every staff meeting, every worship gathering, they're on their faces in prayer for lostness. But now you saw Ray, that tool earlier. Now they're praying for movement because they're praying for generations of lost people. Right? You guys pray 1002. They're churchwide fasting once a month for lostness. That leads to breakthrough. So they're starting by sharing with their oikos, but you also heard that they're also mobilizing people out into the harvest to go connect and share with people that they don't know. Did you guys pick up what their share tool was? Anybody here? What tool are they using to share the gospel? That's right. Three circles. They identified some tools for how to disciple their people. And then they're looking at the book of Acts for what church is going to look like. And they've got a leadership pipeline, a residency program, which I think is the strength of what you're doing. That they've got, what, 12 Spanish-speaking and 14, 15 English-speaking. So they've got 27 guys, and they're, some of them with their wives, going through this two-year residency program. So they've got a pipeline of planters that they're using to just mobilize out in the harvest. You want to talk about that? Okay. Um, so I think we've got to start with this in mind. If you're wanting to see church multiplication, start, what is church supposed to be? And then from there, that should affect what your discipleship looks like. Cause you want your discipleship to lead to church formation, healthy church formation. And that should affect your evangelism. Cause you want your evangelism to lead to healthy discipleship formation, <laughs> Right. And that should affect your well, how you're connecting because you want it to transition to good gospel proclamation. So the discipleship actually covers what the functions of a, it's how do we obey Jesus personally, but within the context of a church. So they get to the end of that discipleship set, and it's you know you have repented and believed, you've been baptized, you know how to pray, you know what the Lord's Supper is, you know what giving is. Uh, what am I missing? Importance of gathering together. Uh, there's more, but it's it's the functions of church. So the discipleship leads to healthy church formation. So we saw that happen through them as they took and adapted and began to roll this out. And as you heard Steve share, there's they're they're planting churches that are planting churches. They're raising up leaders. He didn't say this because he's humble, but within the first six months of them uh, begin to roll out the the training through their local leaders. They tripled the baptisms from the previous year. In six months, tripled the previous year's baptisms. And there wasn't a single evangelism outreach event. It was all disciples making disciples. And I think within the last two years, there's been over 600 baptisms. Disciples making disciples. Now, it's not conversions. People that have been baptized and are being discipled is what they're measuring. And uh, within six months, we saw multiple streams of seventh generation disciples. So what that tells you is the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And the vision came from the lead pastor and the church leadership that every believer makes disciples. 
and then every church plants churches. And so that's, we've been able to take what we've learned from there and we're, we're seeing in other cities like Houston and Memphis and Nashville, uh, Tulsa, for example, it's like there was a, a church that was raised up like family church. Now there's 20 churches that are banded together going after movement of multiple denominations, planting churches in the city of Tulsa. I wanted you to get a chance to just to hear a couple of minutes from uh, a couple of the other catalytic leaders that are here, Ray Vaughn and uh, and Ron Surgeon, to hear what you know. What are some things they've observed as they've been working with legacy churches that are catalyzing movements in their cities? So, Ron, Ron Surgeon of Memphis, Tennessee. What are some things that you've observed as you've seen God catalyze movement through an existing church in Memphis? I'll have to start just like from the beginning. Um, so in 2012, uh, I went to a training in Houston and was got my world rocked. Um, they cast a vision that that God could use ordinary people to see uh, movement start within our sphere of influence in such a way that we could look back over the shoulder of time and see multiplying disciples in churches getting to the fourth generation and beyond. Um, the group that I was with there at that time, God used us to see um, a, a mom and her son and her two sons come to faith there, uh, connected them with a the family who continued on discipling them. And so we returned um, to Memphis uh, with our faith on high, uh, with a vision to train and multiply. Really didn't understand the entire process at that time. And so this was around September. So I recruited some friends. Um, most of these friends were part of the church that I was assisting and leading and still am to this present day. Recruited some of them. Um, and they recruited some people and we formed a team called them the dream team. And so I passed out a blank sheet of paper to these, um, group of friends. And these are people who had a heart for the great commission, but really didn't have a strategy. And so, um, I told them, I said, dream for the kingdom of God. Dream as though failure is impossible. And so, uh, they began to just scribble out things on this sheet of paper. And one of the dreams was to see 150 people come to know Christ by December and to see 15 training groups emerge. This was September 2012. We all made commitments to pray for the things we were dreaming for. Some people committed for an hour, some 30 minutes. And after that, we had our goals. This is our first time setting goals for the kingdom of God. And, um, I said, would you please now think of a plan that will help you reach these goals? And they said, how will you tell us to dream for the kingdom of God and dream as though failure is impossible and then tell us to come up with a plan to see these things come to pass? And I was like, I don't know, but let's give it a shot. I said, we have to put ourselves on the trajectory of seeing these things happen. So we did that and we made a commitment that when Folks came to faith in Christ that all of us would celebrate together because someone's win becomes everyone's win. And when people did not see that happen, um, someone's sadness became everyone's sadness. Um, so we began, we celebrated together and we mourned together. Everybody on the team did not see people come to faith in Christ, but most did. 
By December, we did not see 150 people come to know Christ, but we saw 43. And we did not see 15 training groups emerge, but 13 emerged. And I told the team after our time of evaluation, I said, what if we would, we would have ended 2012 the way we ended 2011 and 2010 and 2009 with no spiritual goals? I said, but now we've dreamed for the kingdom of God and look what God has accomplished. I said, we shot for the moon, we missed it, but we landed among the stars. And so they were all excited. And um, so the next year rolled around 2013, and I spent that month of January in in Burkina Faso in Africa, uh, trained a group there, and less than a year, they started 28 churches. So came back to America um, after that one month, in February, started mobilizing um, about seven groups of pre-existing believers to help them get to generational growth because um, they wanted to see happen with them what had happened with us. And this time, I, my vision was still small. I wasn't thinking about a strategy to reach the entire city, um, Memphis metro area, 1.4 million people. I was just trying to dream bigger than a year before. And so we just came up with a number. The number was to see 50 groups um, of disciple-making groups emerge by December and to see two groups get to their fourth generation. and um, It wasn't and beyond. It was just fourth generation. <laughs> That's what we was hoping for. Um, now I say and beyond. I have to catch myself. <laughs> um, in eight weeks, we were at 32. And at 12 weeks, we were at 50 with two groups in their fourth generation and one in the fifth. In 12 weeks. That year, we saw 170 people come to know Christ. So we completed our goal in a matter of 12, 12 weeks. It was incredible. It was an incredible year. And so we went back to the drawing board to begin to dream bigger for the kingdom of God. Um, the year ended, um, December. We got invited to a mid-level trainer's retreat and walking through the book of Acts. Um, one facilitator began to ask us, look through Paul's missionary journeys and answer these questions. Where did Paul go with his team? What did he do when he got there? What were the results? Why did he leave? And what should you do in response to what you've learned? And after journeying through Paul's journeys, we realized that disciple-making should lead to new churches and not just new disciples. Highly convicted just through the text. Um, returned to Memphis in 2014. Sat down with the church with the staff of the church, talked about forming a church planting team. We did that. Um, They asked, how would I do that? I asked if they would let me rove around to these different small groups, do a simple training, teach people how to share the gospel, who to connect with. Um, Did that, developed a church planting team. That church planting team was about um, nine of us. Um, That, ten including me, that team we, um, in six months, started over 20, 20 churches in six months. And then we began doing work, um, some in the second generation. Then we began doing work at the University of Memphis campus, found our, um, a leader there who had over 200 and something people uh, he would allow us to train. We saw nine ethnic groups um, come to faith in Christ, Saudi Arabian, Yemeni, uh, some Japanese, Vietnamese, folks from Ecuador um, come to faith on the college campus. Uh, we started some churches there also. 
And um, prior to that happening, we had recruited a prayer network, and we were just sending out requests. And one request was that we would have an influence on the campus. And at that present time, we had no means of accomplishing that. And one day, um, I was talking with my co-laborer, Zach, and he said, man, we have this guy said we can come in and train his network of college students. We're like, what? And I told him, I said, man, Miss Sater has been playing, praying for that. Miss Sater is like this short 80-year-old woman who just loves Jesus, and she prays her socks off. And, and you know when you have praying people on your team because they ask you if God has answered. You know, you send them requests, and they get back with you, and they say, is this happening? Is this happening? So I could go into more stories, but obviously my time is up. <laughs> tell, tell us what happened. Tell us, go on. Come on. Tell us what happened. <laughs> more churches. <laughs> yeah, we, we continued. More churches started. Um, we developed some new teams. The church planting team developed a church planting team. They started reaching out to Spanish speakers. Um, the new year rolled around. We started mobilizing more people. Um, the churches at the university... Now, this is one of the problems when you partner with people who do stuff. They have stories to tell of what God is doing. And people ask me, you write these books, you must know a lot. You know, they think I know a lot because I write books. And I say, no, I know a lot because I hang out with guys like you. And this, we should celebrate the fact that we're running out of time, <laughs> that God is doing this. And I just want to bring Ray up because he's in Houston, city of 6.5 million Ray, I, I'm not letting go of the microphone. Oh, okay. What, what have you learned? What would you add to what you've learned about helping existing churches transition in a city like Houston? Sure. Can I hold on the mic? Okay. Uh, so parachuting into Houston, the biggest thing that we were told to do is take this strategy and start training anything that moves. So when we go to a church, the reality is is we want to be learners first, so we want to see where God's at work. So we're we're finding who, what churches have big vision, what churches want to make disciples, what churches want to release the gospel into the city, what churches want to plant churches. We find them, then we want to steward them. We want to serve them like crazy, right? Because that's that's what, what Troy did with Steve. They found a church that's working, or that, that has vision, where God's at work, and they serve them like crazy. And so we, in Houston, parachuted in, finding churches after churches, Sugar Creek Baptist Church wants to train every member of their church in fields one and two, connect and how to share, fields three, how to train and disciple. So what do we do? They line up these monthly trainings. So every every month, they know they're not going to train. Houston's the the large, uh, the number one city for the most mega churches. So a church of 5,000, you're not going to train every member from one event. So they said for the next three years, we're going to do monthly trainings. So every member, it creates a pipeline. More people can funnel through this and start having these tools and these trainings become a part of who they are. And so what do we do? We start training them. The first touch, we're the trainers. The second touch, we're doing it like kind of a model assist, right? So we want them to start becoming the trainers. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth touches, they're training themselves now. So they became their own trainers within their church. But now what are we doing? We're coaching the fruit. We're coaching who God's in work in, and we're helping them get to some generations. The biggest thing that we're learning in Houston, and I think across the U.S., is what you release is what will multiply. When you find a church that's willing to release sharing the gospel, though that's going to multiply. When you find a church that's willing to release baptism, that's going to multiply. When you find a church that's willing to release more churches and church planters, that's going to multiply. 
Uh, Woods Edge Community Church in Houston, North Houston. We just met. We did a training there this past week. Uh, senior uh, Pastor Jeff Wells, great guy. He is wants to release. So what do we see happen? Well, as a result of the training we did, over 20 people came up to me afterwards and says, I want to plant churches. I want to plant churches. Told that to the senior pastor. He had no idea that so many people in his church really want to plant churches. Especially if, if, if church planting doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it out to be. So now they've coming up to us and saying, we want to plant churches. So we told this to Jeff. Jeff says, you know what? I bet, I bet people need to hear from me that they have permission to do this. So in two weeks, he's getting up on the pulpit and he's saying, if you want to plant churches, come be a part of this planting uh, training center that Ray and his team's going to host, and they're going to help you plant churches and homes that are going to multiply. Because his vision is the city of Houston, not creating more legacy churches. His vision is the lostness of Houston. And if that's our vision, then we have got to be able to do whatever it takes to get there. That's all we've got time for today. The audio came to us today courtesy of our good friends at exponential.org. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, do us a favor and spread the word. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.